Welcome to the 2017 Outpost Podcast. This week we finish up the semester with our last sermon on the parables of Jesus. The parable of the friend at night starts right now. That was nice. That was well done, guys. Hey, so in the Outpost, one of the, one of the things that we value is the idea that we are not just about reaching our campus, although we do deeply have a passion, a desire, and a focus to see our campus come to know the love of God in their own lives. But beyond even that, we want to see God's kingdom advance in the world. And that Jesus, when he said, go into all of Jerusalem, that's sort of like CSU, but he also said to Judea and Samaria, it's kind of broader, it's like the front range in Colorado and the United States, and then to the ends of the earth. And so missions is a big part of our heart in Chi Alpha. In fact, it's such a big part of our hearts that after three years of doing ministry, I think it was was it two years or three years? I can't even remember anymore. After like two or three years of being here, we actually left here, and uh, my wife and I and Brent Kaiser and and we had a couple of friends, and we all went over to Russia and actually pioneered uh, the first country, like first Kyalfa in Russia, and and we have this heart to see ministry happen beyond just our campus. And when we do that, there's something about the heart of God. We're not building our kingdom; we're building the kingdom of God. And there's something about that that just transforms us as we take on that mission to God. So we are not doing a lot of, we're not doing like a missions week this semester. We're going to be really talking about missions more next semester. But most of you guys, if you've been around in the outpost long enough, you know like normally in late fall, we kind of have this whole week we devote to talking about missions, our missions trips, our ministry trips, and different things. We're going to do that in the spring. I just want to highlight for just a couple minutes just our trips. This isn't really a vision casting kind of thing. It's just, hey, we want you to be aware. If you're thinking through summer, think through, hey, would you be willing, be interested in being on one of our short-term trips this summer? So just kind of informational. You'll be hearing more stuff about this. Uh, the interns are, are leading different trips, and so they're going to be recruiting different people for different trips. You know, we're going to have a whole week where we're at Men's Advance this year. Scott Martin is going to be talking about some missions and being a man of God, a warrior of God to the nations, and some different things like that. So we're going to have all that. Um, but we have, we have a couple trips. We just want to kind of inform you guys tonight for just real quick, and then we'll move on with the night. But the first one is a ministry trip to Denver. We're talking about seniors who are heading off. How cool would it be if you someday graduate and like, I'm going to Northeast Denver, and I don't know anybody, I don't know anything, and we could call up and be like, hey, I know your great, great spiritual grandfather is in Northeast Denver. He goes to this church. He's part of this community that loves Chi Alpha. He would love to connect you in with that community. How cool would that be? Well, we are kind of working on those relational tethers with strategic churches around our state. And particularly, one thing that is happening in Denver is there's this thing called the Urban Islands. And we won't go into a lot there, but basically it's this project that says there aren't as many churches in the inner cities of major metropolitan areas like there used to be. They all moved out into the suburbs like they should have with our parents' generations. But now the young people, you guys, like to go into the inner city and there's not the churches there. And so the Urban Islands is this idea that there was about... 10 churches that we're connected to in Chi Alpha that all started about the same time over this last year. And they're almost like a resource group. They're all like small group uh, leaders almost, their own independent churches, but they come together and resource each other and help each other as they do this. Well, we're going to go serve a couple of these churches. And, and as these guys are just starting, I mean, these are young, young, young church plant efforts. They are ministering to their neighborhoods. They're trying to reach out relationally to, these, to this city. 
And not just reach Denver, but reach this neighborhood, reach this portion of Denver. And so we're going to be kind of partnering with these guys. These are all going to be summer trips. We are, we're not actually going to do a spring break uh, trip this year. It's all going to be in the summertime. Uh, so this is going to be about a week. It'll be the first week of summer. That's that trip. Next trip is Russia. And, of course, this is our cross-cultural trip. Um, this, is our, this is our cross-continental course. This is deeply you know, connected to the heart of the outpost. This is our baby. You know, we started this thing, and we, our friends are there resourcing it and running it. Our vision is to see university students transformed all over the country of Russia on university campuses, just the way that you guys have experienced. They don't have the level of investment and witness that we do, and so we are going over there to help our friends in St. Petersburg and Moscow. Um, we're going to be doing two teams to, to this country. Uh, we're going to be two-week trips, beginning of summer again also. Uh, one team is going to be up in St. Petersburg helping Jake Leffler and, and Eric the Red and all those guys up there, Ben and Michaela, um, Shannon. So all those guys are up there. And then the other team is going to be in Moscow serving, doing outreach to the city there. There's some church planting efforts also there that's kind of happening. We're going to be helping with those guys there. And then we're going to switch the second week. So you're going to get to experience Moscow and St. Petersburg all on this trip. It's going to be incredible, profound uh, time as we minister to the university there that our friends are out there. Also, last trip also is Moses Project. Moses Project. Now, if you don't know what Moses Project is, this is kind of something we did here a number of years ago in the outpost. It's basically this idea, if the work of the kingdom is not just those who go, but those who are praying and interceding and who are ministering in that capacity. And, and we have found this incredible impact when we are praying for our friends who are going. And so as these teams are going to Denver, and you know, two teams are going to be going to Denver, two teams in Russia, we are going to have a team that is going to be up in the mountains here in Colorado just praying for a week. And if that sounds like scary to you, like, wow, that's really stretching, yeah, it's going to stretch you. Guess what? But it is going to be awesome. And we keep it lively. We keep it active. It is an incredible time. And we've had, you know, we've had just incredible stories People who never had the Lord speak to them all of a sudden feel like they have words from the Lord. And our, the team lead for that is going gonna, is gonna to be communicating with the team leads on these foreign trips or these Denver trips. And they're going to be talking like, hey, we just feel like, you know, you guys need to hear this scripture verse today. Just be encouraged. Or, hey, we're praying for you. We had, you know, we had a team in Russia a couple years ago just experienced just some spiritual warfare. And it's like, it's so cool when we can be like, hey, we've got people interceding in the spiritual realm fighting for the conversations that you're having and discussing and, the, and just the things that happen in those moments when we are intentional to be people of prayer and people that are praying and interceding. And we're going to talk a little more about that tonight as Jacob comes up. But those are the three trips we've got. Just want to kind of inform you about that. Keep that in the back of your mind as you're thinking through your summer plans. The first two weeks of our summer, we're going to be doing all three of these trips. Two of them are going to be about a week one of them, uh, two in Russia, are going to be two weeks long. So we'll be talking more about that next semester. Just want to get the buzz in your ears. You walk into Christmas break. It's like, hey, you know, I was thinking maybe I could do that this year. We have this motto in Chi Alpha. Every student goes. Every student gives. Every student prays. Every student welcomes. The idea of missions in Chi Alpha that we will, as we do this, we build a heart for the nations. And the Lord works in and through that as we are as we are reaching out to those less fortunate than us to have the witness that we have in our lives. So with that, if you have questions, you can talk to me afterwards. 
But tonight we've got Jacob Graham. Give it up, Jacob. It is our last typical large group for the, for the fall semester. So we are, we are grateful just to have this time. Jacob's got a word that's just going to be impactful for us as we walk into finals and into the Christmas season. Um, so I hope you guys keep your eyes and hearts attentive. But Lord, we thank you for this time that we have together. We thank you for what you have spoken over in Jacob's heart this week as he's prepared this message. We just pray you would make us re- e- eager and ready recipients of what you have to say to us. May it not be Jacob, but may it be your spirit speaking to our hearts through his words tonight. We thank you, Lord, and we are ready to hear from you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you. Hey, guys, what's up? Welcome back to me. Been on paternity leave. I have a lot of kids now. <laughs> yeah. Started the month with two, ended the month with four. So had twins. They were in the NICU for two weeks. And uh, it was a little bit of a high risk. It, it, well, not a little bit. It was a high risk pregnancy. And so I know a lot of you guys were praying for our twins, especially our girl. She was, they said she was undersized. Anyway. Both of them uh, came home last Tuesday. They have gained a lot of weight. They are eating uh, way more than they're supposed to be right now. So they're keeping my wife busy. Um, uh, But it's been great. So thanks a lot for your prayer, and things have been good there. It's great to be back. So we're going to, uh, yeah, in the semester, uh, talking about the parables of Jesus tonight, we're going to be talking about the friend at night. So if you don't remember this parable, this is the one uh, where the friend knocks on his neighbor's door and asks for bread late at night, okay? So just kind of a prequel to what we're going to be talking about. We're going to, the way that we're going to do this, that comes out of Luke chapter 11, and really uh, a lot of the chapter, the whole chapter, just has uh, a lot of stories about Jesus talking about prayer, okay? So this parable, we're actually going to share... sort of the second verse, or sort of the second uh, passage of scripture that we're going to read. Everything that I'm going to be talking about tonight has to do with prayer. And when I was reading this, just reading that parable and taking it sort of out of context, you don't get the main thrust of what I think Jesus is talking about without the rest of the scriptures also, okay? So we're going to be reading a lot of scriptures first, and we're going to be using uh, the parable of the friend at night, but we're going to be explaining the parable from the rest of the passages around it, all right? So that's what we're going to get into. So here we go. We're going to start with Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. And this is the passage that's commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. This is when the disciples asked Jesus, hey, Lord, how should we pray? And this is what Jesus says, okay? Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now we're going to get into the parable. So it immediately continues and says, and he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. 
And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I can really relate to that at this point in my life. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. This is Jesus talking. It continues, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So that concludes our our passage uh, that we're going to be reading. So Jesus is talking about prayer here. Well, let me ask you a question here at the beginning. Do you know how to pray? Do you know, do you know how to pray? Do you know how to pray? Let me phrase this another way. Do you have the same confidence in prayer that Jesus had? Jesus was a pretty confident prayer, wouldn't you say? When Jesus prayed and asked his father for something, he received it. Do you have the same confidence in prayer that Jesus had? Because I think the reason that he's instructing us in how to pray is because Jesus wants us to have the same confidence in prayer that he had. That's the point. That is why he's instructing us. He wants us to be confident in prayer. Are you confident in prayer? Do you know how to expect an answer from God? Do you know how to expect an answer from God? This is what Jesus is getting at. Why all this uh, verbiage about prayer and how to pray? He wants you to understand how to be confident, and how to expect an answer from your Heavenly Father, okay? That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. So Jesus here is teaching us the way to pray effectively, and that means the way to pray the way that God approves of. Here Jesus is talking about the way to pray effectively. What is effective prayer? Effective prayer is praying the way that God approves of. I want to pray that kind of prayer. When I come to God, I don't want to mess around with stuff that's not effective or that God doesn't approve of. I want to do what's going to get the job done. How about you? I want to pray and I want to know that it's effective. I want to pray and I want to know that Jesus approves of this prayer. I want to pray and I want to know that right after I pray this prayer, I'm expecting to receive an answer from God. This is the reason that Jesus is talking about this stuff. He wants us to be confident in prayer. Do you know how to pray like that? We can do it. So I think, you know, I think a lot of us <clears throat> approach God as if he were a tired friend in bed. What do I mean by that? Either he will answer us or he won't, but I won't blame him too much if he doesn't because he's probably occupied. Does that, does that ring a bell? I think that's the way that we, a lot of us approach God, or, or at least at times we approach him like this. Jesus here is teaching us to pray effectively. The way that God approves of. Why is Jesus doing this? Again, he's doing it because he wants us to experience God's will on the earth. Jesus is teaching us these things because he wants us to experience God's will. The ultimate goal of man is the glory of God. And the way that God is glorified through us on the earth is that his will is done through us. 
So the reason that Jesus is teaching us to pray effectively is so that his will will be accomplished in our lives. I want that to be the case in my life. Okay, so let's, let's keep going here. In prayer, just like anything else in life, there's a human part and a God part. So anything that we do in life, that we were created to do in life, there's, there's going to be a part that we play and a part that God plays. God has created us to be dependent upon him. It's no different, it's, it's no different in prayer. The human part of prayer is praying the way that Jesus taught us. Okay, So what's my part in prayer? Your part in prayer, my part in prayer, is to pray like Jesus taught us. What's God's part in prayer? God's part in prayer is to answer. That's how simple it is. Our part in prayer is to pray the way that Jesus taught us to pray. God's part is to provide the answer. We don't have the power in ourselves to acquire answers, okay? What we do have the power to do is do what God asks us to do, which is ask him for the answer. And And it's his part to do the answer, okay? So... When we're praying, let's not get mixed up and confused as to whose part is what. Your part is simply to pray the way that Jesus asked you to. And when you do that, you can be confident that your answer will come. Because Jesus always got answers to his prayer. God's part of prayer is actually coming through with the answer. When we do our part correctly, we can rest in peace and trust that God will do his That's where you want to be in prayer. You want to be in peace. You want to be trusting that God's going to come through for me, okay? So let's dive into this a little bit more. Today, we're going to examine this parable and the surrounding passages for how Jesus taught us to pray. The points that we're going to cover that I feel like Jesus is is asking us to consider here are the following. First of all, he asks us to check our hearts. Check your heart. Second, Jesus implores us to know our Father. So we need to check our heart. We need to know our Father. And finally, we need to ask and expect an answer. Okay, let's get into this. First of all, check check your heart. Back to the passage, back to the parable. Luke chapter 11. This is the first part of it. I'm gonna, we're going to talk about the first part, and then we're going to kind of explain what Jesus is saying here. Because remember, the other passages kind of explain why he gives this parable in the first place. He said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. So I was, re- I was reading several commentaries in preparation for this. Uh, one was from a guy that I hadn't heard of before, but I'm glad that I have heard of him now. His name is uh, Lloyd John Ogilvy. Can you guys remember that, Ogilvy? And uh, his book is called Autobiography of God. I'm going to quote him several times, so hopefully you do by the end. But in his book, he says this, it is an, In that culture, it is an unpardonable lack of friendship and hospitality to fall, excuse me, gosh, to fail to offer a meal. Okay, so it's an unpardonable lack of friendship and hospitality to fail to offer a meal in that culture. Eating was a sacramental expression of the bond of loyalty. To refuse was to make an enemy. So this is the point that I want to make with this first part of the parable, okay? This guy that goes and asks his friend for bread at midnight was justified in doing so. It was the right thing to do in that culture. To fail to offer bread to his friend that had come unexpectedly, but as a guest, would have been to offend this guy. Okay, so when this man uh, goes to ask his friend of bread, that was 
that was justified. He was just in doing that. It was the right thing to do. All right? And honestly, it probably would have been just as offensive for the neighbor not to get up and offer him some bread. So he eventually does, sort of grudgingly, but it would have been just as offensive for him not to do that as well, okay? So he eventually does his part, although he didn't want to, right? He didn't want to at the beginning. The point here is that this man was coming and asking for his petition in a just manner. He had the right motive, and he asked for the right thing, okay? When we come to God with our requests, it must be for something that pleases God and in a manner that pleases God. This is the first point. When we come to God with our requests, when we pray, what Jesus is teaching us is we must come to him for, for something that pleases God. And the manner, the heart motive that we come with needs to also please God. Okay, first, first thing that Jesus teaches us in getting answers to prayer is come with something that pleases God and in a manner that pleases God. I'm going to give you an example of something from my own life in this. So back when I was a single man in Iowa, I really wanted a wife, okay? I grew up in a family uh, of three boys, and so I had, had no idea how to interact with women at all, all right? But nevertheless, uh, I believed that I wanted a wife someday, and uh, so I, I prayed fervently for that, starting when I was in high school, through college, etc. And this is kind of what I prayed, God, uh, I'd like a wife, and kind of what I meant, honestly, what I meant in my heart by that was, God, I want a girlfriend. God, I want somebody that's attractive. That's all that I meant when I prayed for a wife. Seriously. I want somebody in my life that I think is smoking hot, and that's pretty much the reason I want somebody like that in my life. Maybe you can relate. Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. But honestly, seriously, God, I want a wife. What does that mean? I want the benefits, God. I want the benefits. And as a Christian, to do it legally, I have to have a wife. Okay? So that's what I was praying and asking God for. And that was sort of my petition from when I was in high school to when I was in college. And so the women that I look to date really basically just had to, had to have those two qualifications. They had to basically label themselves as a Christian somehow, and they had to be attractive to me. And so I went out with several of these ladies, and the relationship always sucked, right? It was never about Jesus. It was always about what I could get out of it. Okay, so it was just terrible. All right, well, after um, I struck up a conversation with and began a relationship with what I thought was the cutest girl I'd ever met in my life, and the same thing happened. I was like, all right, God, I'm sick and tired of this. I've been asking you for a wife. I've been pursuing these women that I thought were okay, and it's just not working out, okay? So I, I honestly got to this place. I was living alone as a bachelor in my house, and I remember the moment that I was like, God, honestly, I've been doing something wrong. I'm tired of this. I am willing to be a bachelor until the rapture. Okay. I'm willing to be a bachelor until the rapture. Honestly, I have figured out that just dating these girls with this sort of priority list is not working out for me, and it's driving me crazy, and it's costing me a lot of money, and I'm tired of it. Okay, So I honestly got to this place where I was serious with God, and I was like, God, I'm really done, and I truly believe that me and you 
if this never works out for me, can have an amazing life. And so that's what I'm going to do. I know what you've called me to do. This was when I was sensing the call to ministry. I'm going to pursue it. And if she never comes along, that's going to be okay with me. One of the words that God gave me when I prayed that prayer was, just be, just be a friend. Just be a friend. And so I said, I'm, I'm just going to be a friend. You know, I'm not sure how that leads to wifehood, but I'm just going to be a friend. <laughs> and uh, the year that I prayed that prayer, I met my wife as a friend. I, I swear that my motivation was, I just want to be your friend. And God did something in me when that happened. In my heart, God started, God started doing something that I didn't even anticipate and really wasn't after. And he started turning it into like an awesome, pure, uh, loving, romantic relationship that I knew was going to lead farther than that. So this is a, an example of me praying a prayer with the wrong motive and getting crap results. And then praying a prayer with the right motive, and God made it happen in his timing. I'll tell you, I'll tell you that you know, me acquiring a wife did not happen in my timing. It happened in God's. And it happened after I gave it all to him. This is, an, this is an example of the type of prayer God wants us to pray. He wants us to pray for the right thing, something that's according to his will, and he wants us to pray for, with the right motive in mind, okay? James chapter 4, verse 3 says this, When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. That's NIV. In the King James, it says that you may spend what you get on your lusts. Okay, so the Bible identifies what, that we don't get what we ask for because we are asking with wrong motives. Um, 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15 says this. This is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. It's so direct and it's so clear. The Bible says, This is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Did you guys get that? This says, if you ask according to his will, he hears you, and you will know that you will have it. There's no more of this, well, maybe this, and maybe that, and maybe God didn't hear my prayer. The Bible says, if you know his will, then you should expect an answer. When you ask according to his will, you know that he hears you. And when, if you know that he hears you, whatever it is, you know that you have the petition that you've asked. That's amazing confidence. That's the kind of confidence that Jesus prayed with. How did Jesus pray with that kind of confidence? Because he knew what the will of the Father was and his motivation was correct. So how do we know, just a quick question, sort of a side note, how do we know what God's will is? First, his word is his will, okay? If you can find it in the Bible, you know what God's will is. Second, if you don't know, ask him what it is. God, what's your will? Third, I would encourage you to maybe grab a small group leader or a resource leader or a Christian in your life that's been walking with God longer and ask them what they think God's will is for you. And then get a couple more people to confirm that and see if that jives with what you feel like God is asking you to do. Confirmation is a good thing as well. You can know what God's will is. Read the Bible, A. Ask God, B. Ask people that know God, C. Find out what God's will is. Okay, so the second point here. Actually, let me, let me say this first. According to the preceding scriptures, if we ask God with the right motive and for something that he approves of, we can be assured that he will give it to us. Secondly, know your father. <clears throat> okay, so the first thing that Jesus teaches us is to pray with the right motive. Second thing he teaches us is to know who we're praying to. 
Luke eleven seven. back into the parable. <clears throat> and he will answer from within and say, this is the friend whose door has been knocked on. Do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give it to you. Jesus is using this part of the parable to contrast what God is like. God is not like this. Thank goodness. God is not like this. God, the Bible says that God never grows weak or weary, for one thing. So he's never, he's never too tired for us to come to him with a request. And the other thing is this. God is our good father. You may not have had a good father growing up. But I'll tell you one thing. The God of the Bible, Jesus' daddy, is a good father. And good fathers want to provide for their children. Good fathers don't care if their children approaches them at the most inconvenient times. Good, children care, good fathers care so much about their kids that they want to know what their kids think, and they want to grant those requests. They want to give their kids good stuff. Okay? That's a good father. So Jesus is contrasting this neighbor with what God is really like here. <clears throat> When Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, as we read at the beginning in, in the Lord's Prayer, he tells them to start off by praying to their Father. And that's really significant. He doesn't say, pray, O Lord, or, or pray, Master, necessarily. Although those can be good ways to start off prayer. He says to remember the relationship that you have with the one that you're praying to. He is your Father. Pray to him as Father. That's the way that Jesus prayed. Luke eleven two again says, he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan, in his commentary, The Parables and the Metaphors of Our Lord, says, uh, he's mentioning this, and he says, Father implicates relationship. <clears throat> in other words, Jesus says that when you pray, to call on the relationship that you have with God. He's your Father. He wants to answer. Luke 11, 11 says, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? The implied answer there is, of course not. Even, the, even those of us on the earth, even, even bad fathers, you know, if they got a little bit of good in them, if their son asks them for something good, they want to give it to them. It's the exact same thing with your father, right? If you ask him for something that he doesn't want you to have, let me, just a, you know, <laughs> light bulb moment, he doesn't want you to have that, Right? If, he, if you ask him for something that he doesn't want you to have, he's not going to want to answer that prayer. That's why we need to find out what he wants so that we can pray, so that we can receive what he wants us to have. All right? Many of us have grown up praying to our Father out of religious duty. If you've got a church background or anything of the sort, you've heard of this prayer. And that's why it may not strike you as meaning something significant right off the bat, because it's just coming across as a dutiful type of thing. Pray to your Father. That's the way you do. No. Jesus is talking about this because he's talking about the relationship component of it. Remember, the disciples had just seen Jesus praying. Jesus is teaching them to pray like he prays. Jesus prays to his dad. Jesus prays to uh, an entity that he has a relationship with. And he knows has his back. He knows he has his best interest at heart. And he knows he wants to answer his prayer. The cool thing that Jesus had going for him is that his motivation was always correct which is why he always got what he prayed for, right? So Jesus is teaching them to pray like he prays. If you want to pray like Jesus prays, pray with the right motivation and pray to your Father. Pray to this person 
that, has, that wants to have an intimate relationship with you and has your best interests at heart. <clears throat> Here are a couple scriptures that show some of the characteristics of our Father. The first is Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16. The Bible says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I think one of the gifts, one of the greatest gifts that we can get when we give our lives to Christ is the knowledge that we are now taken care of by the Father of our hearts, the creator of our hearts, the Father of the universe, God, a loving Father. Abba, one of the translations of Abba, you know, uh, maybe a layman's translation is that it means daddy, okay? It means an intimate relationship. That's what the Bible says. We cry out, daddy, daddy God, much like a child. Children, um, young children are much too young to realize that uh, lots of things go through a father's mind when they're asked about stuff like how much does it cost, etc. Right? And yet the Bible asks us to ask God as a little child that doesn't realize any of these things doesn't realize how long it's going to take, doesn't realize how long it's going to cost. The Bible asks us to ask our Father as if you're a little child that doesn't know about any of that stuff, and you just have a need, and you're just coming to your Father who you know cares about you. That's the way that Jesus asks us to pray. I encourage you guys to pray that way. Pray expecting an answer. Find out what God's will is, ask Him for it, and expect your loving Father to give it to you. Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, another scripture on the characteristics of our Father. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you need before you ask Him. That goes for you. It goes for you. That goes for your concerns about finals week. That goes for your concerns about how you're going to pay for next semester. It goes for your concerns about what happened in that relationship that you were just in. That goes with your concerns about what it's going to be like, you know, between your parents when you get home. That goes for you. God knows about that stuff even before you ask him about it. So please ask him about it. He wants to, he wants to talk to you about that, and he wants to give you an answer. Realize that. God has your best interest at heart. He cares so much about you, and he wants you to come to him like that. He wants you to come to him like that. Please don't come to him as this faraway God that's like the sleepy neighbor. Come to him as a father that is anxious and anticipating you coming to him. Pray like that. That's how Jesus prayed. That's how Jesus prayed. Jesus' understanding of his father led him to ask for some audacious things. All right? John chapter 11, verse 38 through 43, this is the story of Lazarus. I think it's worth reading, so we're going to read it. Jesus asked for some audacious things because he knew his father. Jesus said in verse 39, actually, take away the stone. So the story of Lazarus is about a friend of Jesus's that passed away. And Jesus comes, and and this is what happens. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. 
and I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the dead man walked out of the grave. This scripture says that Jesus, I believe, definitely implies, my interpretation of it is that Jesus prayed for this moment before it happened. And the reason that I think that is because he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, have heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but because of these people, that is why I said this. He's trying to let them know the source of his power. The source of his power is his father. He asked his father for something crazy, and his father gave it to him. Why did that happen? Let me tell you why it happened. It didn't just happen because Jesus is the Son of God. It happened because the raising of Lazarus from the dead was God's will. That's why it happened. And Jesus knew that God wanted to give life back to the dead. And so he asked his father for that, and his father gave it to him. This happened because Jesus knew the will of God. His motivation was correct. And he knew, he understood the relationship that he had with his father. We can have the same confidence before God when we ask for things if we'll do it like Jesus did it. All right? Begin to think, and I know you already are, but begin to ponder and mutter in your hearts. What are the things that I've been praying for? Have I been praying with the right motivation? But this is the thing that I want you to see. God has your best interest at heart, and God's, he, God wants his will to be known to you. Do you know what it is? If so, pray and expect your father to answer. Okay, quick, quick little story here uh, as an example of this in my life. So last Thanksgiving, I got to travel back to Iowa. My family was there. I've got a niece and a nephew from one of my brothers, Jared. And uh, as a family, we decided to play hide-and-seek in the house. So these are little kids, my, little ki- my two little girls and uh, Jared's uh, boy and his daughter. And we said, hey, kids, we're going to turn the lights off. Not all of them, but we're going to turn some of them off. And we're going to hide, and then other people are going to find us. And I, and I went to Brooke and Matthew, my niece and nephew, and I said, hey, guys, do you want to hide with me? And they were like, no. And then they ran to their dad. But then right after that, my two girls ran to me. And they did that because they knew me, because they trusted me. It makes all the difference in the world to know who your father is. It makes all the difference in the world. My, ne- my niece and nephew didn't know me which is why, you know, I haven't spent that much time with them, honestly, which is why they wanted to go to their daddy. But it makes all the difference in the world in terms of trust to know who your father is. It's really important to do this and to understand this when we pray. Our last point here is, is this. So Jesus is teaching us here, hey, ask something that's according to God's will, ask with the right motive, um, understand who your father is, And finally, ask and expect an answer. God wants you to expect an answer. Luke 11, 8, back to our parable. I say to you, though he will not rise and give it to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. All right? That word persistence is translated importunity in the King James And G. Campbell Morgan says this, this is the only case in the New Testament where the word importunity is used. It means impudence. It comes from the Latin word importunus, 
which means troublesome. Okay? So Jesus is saying here that this guy that knocked on his neighbor's door, he was so troublesome that his neighbor finally got up and, and granted him his petition. He gave him what he wanted. The man in the parable received what he asked for because he was banging on the door in a troublesome way. <clears throat> Interestingly, I want us to notice that this man, he received what he was asking for. He got it, right? So there's no contrast with God in that, okay? When we ask God, we will also get what we're asking for if it's according to the things that I've already said. When we ask God, we will receive. Like in the parable, however, the answer may take some time to come, but we can be assured that God's posture toward our request is much better than this friend's. This friend did not want to answer, and he did because he was, he was having trouble caused to him. God wants to answer because he likes you. That's why God wants to answer. God wants to answer because he made you. God wants to answer because he knows the things that you have need of before you know them. God wants, God wants to answer because he wants his perfect will to be carried out on the earth. That's why he wants to answer your prayer. God gets glory by your prayers being answered. God is glorified by your prayers being answered. So let's not pray some joke of a prayer that we're not sure if it's going to be answered. Let's pray a prayer that we know is going to be answered because God gets glory in that. God's, God is glorified through your life through answered prayer. G. Campbell Morgan also says, there is no need for importunity. There's no need to be troublesome with God. We do not need to keep on banging on his door. Receiving something from a sleepy friend often requires effort and persistence. It requires convincing how many times growing up did you feel like you needed to convince your parents to get you something or to do a certain thing? I want this. I'm, I'm, I've got to convince this person. Receiving something from our loving Father simply requires asking in faith. And as we've seen, if you know God's will, if you have the right motive, and if you know his heart, you can pray in faith and expect an answer. There's no convincing required. James chapter 5 says this, verses 14 and 15. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. The Lord will raise him up. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Much power is available in the prayer of a righteous person. John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, the Bible says this. And whatever you ask in my name, this is Jesus talking, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. My last example of the night is, uh, <clears throat> actually, happened when I was in Bible school. So, uh, I grew up in Iowa, so how many places outside of the country do you think I went to before college? Zero, right? Yeah, absolutely. I was an Iowa farm, bo farm boy and proud of it. I actually wanted to stay there. Uh, thank goodness I was delivered from that. There's nothing wrong with that. But <clears throat> So when I was in Bible school, there was a couple opportunities for mission trips. One was to Peru and one, one was to the Philippines. And uh, I started thinking seriously about whether or not I should go on one of these things when it was like a month before the decision had to be made. So I was feeling the pressure that I needed to make a decision because if I make a decision to go, then i got to raise support to go, Right? It was $2,200 for me to go on this mission trip. 
And that is more money than I had ever asked people for in my whole life. That's more money I'd ever seen. That's more money than I'd ever gotten. Never been out of the country. And so basically my general, uh, my general idea about approaching this mission trip thing was, man, I don't think, how am I going to get $2,200 and why would I go to the Philippines? And I, you know, I think it was a message that somebody at the Bible school taught that I started thinking about this more like, hey, I wonder if, wonder if it would be cool if I went to the Philippines. I wonder if God would use my life. And before you knew it, I was like, man, I really want to go to the Philippines. The last uh, obstacle that I had to get over was if I say I want to go to the Philippines and I tell my instructors that I want to go to the Philippines, then I'm going to be on the hook for raising this money. And I'm going to look stupid if the money doesn't come in. And so I remember praying about this. I was like, God, man, I really feel like I want, that I want to go to the Philippines. Is that what you want? And I really felt peace about that. So I, get, I got to the place where I'm like, man, God wants me to go to the Philippines. And I was like, man, God, you know, you're going to have to raise this money somehow. I don't even know who to ask. But I feel like you want me to go. So what do you want me to do about this? And I'm telling you, this is the way that it happened for me. It dawned on me. It dawned on me when I asked that. That if God was the one that was prompting me to go, then he was the one that was going to pay for it. It just dawned on me. I was like, huh. This is what happened after that. I told them that I was going to go, and I guarantee you, guarantee you, I knew that I was going to get the money. All I did was ask everybody that I could think of. So I put feet to my faith. I just asked, asked people. Didn't have an awesome list. I didn't do everything exactly right. I just asked people for the money. But I knew. I knew it was God that was telling me to do that. And so the other, the other answer to the question was already solved. God must pay for it. God must be going to pay for it. And so what happened was, uh, I think I raised twenty-five or 2600 I just asked people. I got more than enough. Um, I was able to go on this mission trip. People got saved. People got healed. It was awesome. People got filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, I think um, what I did with the rest of that extra money was I, I gave it to somebody else, one of my roommates that was also going on a mission trip. It was awesome. That's faith. That worked because I knew what God's will was for my life. I knew he wanted me to go to the Philippines. And I said, God, I'm going. How can I raise this money? And God said, I'm going to raise the money. You just ask people. That is faith. That is praying in faith. That is taking God at his word and acting like it's true. That's how God wants us to pray. All right. Uh, the band can come back up. Now, actually, we're going to get ready to wrap it up. There's one last thing to mention here before we, before we close and uh, before we respond to the things that we've heard tonight. Jesus concludes his teaching on prayer in Luke chapter 11 with the following verse. Luke chapter 11, verse 13. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And when I first read that, I'm like, hey, wait a minute, God. I thought you were talking to me about how to pray effectively. Why did you go and do what you do sometimes and say something that's completely sort of off the subject? Why are you talking about the Holy Spirit now? I thought we were talking about prayer. Well, he does this on purpose, okay? I thought you were teaching me about how to get answers to my prayer. Oh, he is. And he concludes his whole message on prayer with a heart check. 
According to Ogilvy, more than answers to prayer, God wants to give us himself. The one blessing God will not give until we ask is his own indwelling spirit. The ultimate purpose of prayer is to make that request. God wants us to ask for the relationship's sake. God wants us to come to him. He wants us to trust him. He even wants to answer our prayers because of the relationship. He wants us more than anything else. And he's waiting for us to have the same motivation toward him. He wants us to want him more than anything else. The deal with prayer and the deal with having our needs met is this. God is a good father and he will meet your needs. He wants you to have a prayer life so that he can have a relationship with you. Why should I ask for things that God already knows that I need? Because he wants a relationship. He wants a relationship. He wants you to want him for him, not for the stuff that he can give you. He's going to give you the stuff because he's good. But he wants the reason that you have a prayer life to be that you want him. Okay? Do you want God? Basically, like I said, he's asking us a heart check here at the end. What is your motivation for prayer? What is your motivation for the things that you're praying for? Do you really want God? Do you really want God's will? Do you really want what God wants in your life? Or are you just trying to, you know, get out of something? God wants you to want him. Prayer at its heart is expressive of relationship. It is communicating with God. In its purest motive, prayer is desiring to know God and be known by him. G. Campbell Morgan says this, when he says he will give the Holy Spirit to them that ask, what he's saying is that he will give the very best. You can't get any better than that. You can't get any better than that. You cannot get any better than him. When you go to him in prayer, you cannot get anything better than him, than who he is. He is everything that you need. He's peace. He's provision. He's protection. He's self-confidence. He's salvation. He's righteousness. He's holiness. He's truth. You can't get any better than him when we ask in prayer. Okay? I want you guys to stand up. We're going to respond to this message. Okay, I would encourage you guys to to close your eyes and just concentrate on God. I want you to pray right now. Prayer is communication with your loving Heavenly Father. And He's been looking forward to this moment. So I'm going to ask some questions. I want you to search your heart, ask yourself the same things, if this helps you. But just, just connect with God. Let me ask you this. What have you been asking God for? What have you been asking God for? You've been asking God for some stuff. What has it been? Is your heart in the right place? What does God want in your situation? What what does God want? Now, what is your view of God? Does he seem far off right now? 
He wants to be close to you. He wants to be close to you. He adores you. You are the apple of his eye. He wants to be close to you. That is his posture toward you. He wants you to know that he has your best interests at heart. No matter what's going on, no matter what has happened, no matter what those people have done, God wants you to know that he's with you and he's got your best interests at heart. He knows what's best for you. So I want you to do this with where you're at in your heart and what you've been asking God for. I want you to commit yourself to the Lord. Even if that seems hard, I want you to give God as much as you can right now. (laughs) God, I don't know. But I give you, I give you myself. I give you what I have to give. I am yours, God. I commit myself, I commit my life to you. There's these things that I've been asking about that I don't know where the answer is going to come from. But I give myself to you. I want you, Jesus. I want you. I want a relationship with you. Now, just for a moment or two, I want you to pray from that place right now. I'm not going to lead you. I just want you to pray. God, thank you for teaching us how to pray tonight. Thank you for that instruction on prayer, God. Thank you that we can know that an answer is on the way when we pray according to your will with the right motive, knowing that our Father wants to answer us. Thank you so much. God, I pray for these here. I pray that you would answer their prayers. pray that you would help them to know what your will is in their situation. I pray that you would help them to discern their motivation and that they would turn that over to you and say, God, I want what you want in this situation. I pray that they would do that, God. I pray for answers to questions. Most of all, Lord, I pray that these here would experience more of your presence than ever before. They would experience you. And I know that they're not going to be disappointed. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for the Outpost Podcast. See you next time.